Welcome to the Product Management. We bring to you industry experts to share their valuable insights via this podcast on various topics related to product management. These include marketing, sales, development, growth, product fit, and many more. For latest updates, please subscribe to theproductmanagement.com. This podcast is supported and sponsored by Station 91, a short content knowledge app for your job role. Find exclusive and free content related to product management by downloading the Station 91 app. Hi, this is Harsha Patil, your host, and we are back with Healthify Me Story and them becoming a global phenomenon. Your work ethic is as contagious as a yawn. Now go change the world. Anjan has been busy changing the world from being the founder of HypeThis, a hyperlocal discovery app, to being the vice president, growth, and head of product at Healthify Me. So, Anjan, you're the uh, head of product with one of India's largest fitness communities. Can you tell us a little about your role in bringing this product to life? Sure. Well, to start with, thank you for having me here. Uh, Very sweet of you guys to call me in. I've been with Healthy Family for the last three years, being a product manager to becoming the head of product. As the head of product in my current role, what I look at is primarily two things. I head a team of six product managers, 40 engineers. And all of us together try to solve for these two things. One of them being the current needs of our users. We have a large user base. We have 10 million users across the world, not just in India. So there are varied needs that you look at. We prioritize them. We kind of solve for them. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, uh, the more exciting part about being a product manager is uh, finding new opportunities. Whether it be whether it's a new market, whether it is uh, the same market, but new needs, a whole new segment, something that's caught on in you know, the younger audience, the millennials as we call them. Identifying them, solving for them uh, is the second thing that we do. So largely, that's my role at Health Family. Cool, that sounds interesting. And then did you say 10 million users? That's right. So we are 10 million users across the world. A large part of them come from India. Uh, we are also locally present in uh, Singapore and Malaysia. But we have a massive set of users from North America, primarily Indian. So we don't just serve Indians in India. We serve the Indian diaspora across the world. Mm -hmm. So it's something that uh, we continue to do. We continue to double down on while going local in different countries. Sure. So as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, you've gone through seven rounds of funding? That's right. Um, I would say three rounds of funding. Okay. Uh, the other rounds were the earlier seed rounds, the smaller rounds. Yeah. Uh, the main rounds, I think, was the larger seed round was around 2014-15 time frame. Then there was a 2016 uh, Series A, which was led by some of the larger funds in India. Um, and then happened Series B. That's uh, between Series A and Series B is when, when I joined the company. Okay. And was part of the journey then. So, yeah. And now we are on our way to the next round of, of funding. So according to you, what have been the biggest challenges in growing and scaling your user database, mainly in India and obviously worldwide as well from the product point of view? From the product point of view, I think diversity is something that we have to deal with on a daily basis. I think I should just step back and just tell you what Healthify Me does. Healthify Me is the world's largest calorie counter. Kind of tells you what kind of foods should you eat, should you not eat gives you a breakup of your protein, fat, carbs, and fiber, and tells you how to balance them. What happens with food then is uh, it also plays with the diversity of the audience. You have people sitting in Bangalore who would eat typically a carb-heavy meal, which means that it's very rice-based, 
uh, your idlis dosas or just plain rice and versus the audience in north india say punjab where mm-hmm. it's very protein based but it's also very high in fat so different parts of india as you can imagine eat different types of foods we have different names yeah for every food that we have in india yeah. right so many cuisines there are so many cuisines right but then imagine this is just one country now imagine the problem when you scale to say seven or eight nations yeah and all of them being diverse um in fact we picked malaysia as the first stop as part of our international foray only because of the fact that they are similar to india in the sense their ethnicities come with different cuisines mm-hmm. and as complex as india but at the same time the market is very similar to india it's not really captured uh, we were the first movers here we wanted to be the first movers there yeah but then we love a challenge so that's why we went to malaysia we could have just gone to maybe north america it's a little easier it's more standardized foods yeah uh, but southeast asia is a challenge so that's why we went there So the largest thing that we face to put it in a nutshell mm-hmm. is diversity because people have different needs people eat different kinds of foods mm-hmm. if i have to tell them whether they eating healthy or not i need to know what kind of foods that they eat yeah and that process itself and understanding the cultures understanding when they eat those foods when should i remind them to track their meal on the app what kind of coaches do they really want to talk to do they even talk to nutritionists in that part of the world or not do they even entertain calls in india our business is primarily calls led all our services are generally done over calls we get two to four consultations a month with a nutritionist that's a premium package that we have okay. and the same thing may not work in a country like singapore because it's a developed nation no one has time to pick up calls yeah so they want to just message you right so we have to change the way the app works yeah. no matter where you are so that's where the biggest problem comes from just personalization based on diversity yeah. So on the same note of scaling and thinking about worldwide or globalization or launching your product out of India so at what point or when do you know that you should try getting users outside your local demographics or your local country or developing the product Right nice question because uh, for me if I have to look at uh, this specific journey with uh, health of hymie I would say that uh, there is no good or bad time to do it. It's an ongoing process. Uh, what we try and do is we kind of experiment with maybe 5 or 10% of audience coming in from a set of audience that's not ideal for business. Mm-hmm. For example, what do we optimize for? If you are looking at say a January, February, March quarter of the year, that's when most of our health and wellness apps do well because it's around the resolution period. People mm-hmm. want to get fit. and uh when you look at it from business point of view that's when people want to pay right but even during that period we know that a person who's slightly older has maybe an iphone has a tendency to obviously pay a little more at least according to the stats that we have right okay. i mean i know i'm stereotyping but then it is i'm trying to simplify this problem right yeah and when you look at it from that perspective we could just get that kind of audience in you know show top line growth profitability etc but then around that time is when we also make sure that 5% of the audience is not ideal for business maybe they are all school going kids maybe they are people who are finishing their masters who don't have any money to spend yeah we still want to change lives so how do we change their lives without monetizing them in the way that we generally monetize them yeah. that's the question so that's the kind of questions that we try to answer mm-hmm. the minute we find an answer to that question for yeah. a very small segment then we know that we can scale that segment Yeah. So it's an ongoing process. We just keep experimenting, failing at it, mm-hmm. and the minute we succeed, we expand. That's what we do.
So Anjan, what are the four revenue verticals that helped you achieve this substantial expansion? Yeah, absolutely. So as you would have heard from the stories about all the VC funded startups, right? One thing that we have to focus on is revenue. Of course, user growth is very important. The number of users that we have is substantial again, but at the same time to support all their needs, it's important for us to also make money to support it. How do we sustain? Of course, yeah. So when you look at it from that perspective, I think the genius move that the founders did, um, Tushar and uh, Sachin, around 2015-16 time frame is when they decided to go into a paid model and try it out. We realized that the calorie counter was doing really well, but then we couldn't charge people for calorie counting because you could just go on to Google and search for it. At least now you can do it. Yeah. Back then also you could. And the best way to actually see real results people losing weight mm-hmm. or gaining muscle right whatever that journey that they are on how do you make a difference that tends to happen when you have a person who's pushing you that's when we realized that coaching services is important we decided to give access to our users to all our nutritionists and fitness trainers right now we have a team of 450 nutritionists and fitness trainers across the world not just in india oh wow okay and that massive team of of course comes with an overhead but then sure. that's the core business the core business is that when you upgrade you get a diet plan workout plan you get motivation from our coaches yeah you get access to the community and you it's have obviously custom made to absolutely. each individual absolutely right? yeah. yeah it goes down to the point of taking i think about 17 parameters before you even start making a diet plan right from you know your height weight of course but then your medical conditions what you like eating what cuisines do you like what you have around you Mm-hmm. can you even afford the kind of food right so that's that's what we look at so um that business was probably the only business that was made back then and that has stayed till now sustainably for the last 5 years and probably one of the very few in the world that do it i can't think of too many apps that do this yeah and because it's combination of tech and humans right yeah So that's the main business but beyond that uh, because the fact that you we were riding that wave a couple of things happened for example we started something called the B2B vertical uh, where we go out and healthify entire corporates okay. uh, we get every employee into a engagement program all of them compete against each other okay. we set the world record last year for it uh, with cognizant uh, it can mention it because it's over record. Yeah. We said it with them uh we had the highest number of employees participating in any health challenge. Sure. So that's a growing vertical again because uh, we kind of work with the corporate make sure that we get every employee engaged. Yeah. The third vertical that we launched was in 2018 beginning of 2018 is when we launched the health foods marketplace. We realized that we were sending out a lot of diet plans to our users, premium users. that's how the company grew but what we didn't have control over is what they're eating if we could complete the loop by fulfilling a diet plan by giving them the foods that they're supposed to eat it made a lot of sense to us mm-hmm. so we started with the marketplace and recently what we decided was to make sure that the quality is great now we have started creating our own foods so it's a growing vertical it's called the foods vertical it's online you can find it on the web you can find it in our app and then the last vertical is something that's very close to my heart because i was part of this journey personally so what we realized was over the last 7 years all the diet plans that have gone out had so much gold in them that we never used them we had over 350000 diet plans that have gone out to users we had over 800 million food logs and messages exchanged between coaches and clients and we had not exposed it to the tech prowess that we have right now which is your ai engines everything that is self learning yeah. 
So what we decided to do was in December 2018, we launched the world's first automated diet plan. Mm-hmm. Today, if you go onto the Play Store on your Android phone and search for the highest grossing app. Yeah, can I do that right now? Yeah, you can do that right now. You can do that right now. Uh, look for the highest grossing app in health and wellness. We are number one. Uh-huh. And global apps in India, all apps put together, we are number 30. So that has been the impact of launching something that was just an idea in December. Until now, we've just scaled, scaled, scaled. And we have more than 35,000 paying users right now, currently within six cool. months. And Sorry. that's paved way to international expansion because completely tech. It's only yeah. software, no humans. So earlier you mentioned that you couldn't put the calorie count as a paid service because you had so many other competitors and more innovations around you. So what is your take on the product innovation versus product growth? For me, it's personally a flywheel effect. What growth gives you is a lot of users, a lot of usage of the app, which also means that it is a lot of data. Now, what happens is when you have a lot of data, you can take informed decisions about what your next innovation is going to be. In all probability, you'll find an idea that could be 100% success in the market. So growth is required for you to take an informed decision on innovation. What innovation does, just like the case of the smart plans that I just spoke about, is uh, it lets you grow further. I mean, it just opened up a whole new vertical for us. Smart plans right now in our app, which is a complete AI-based plan, is at one-third the cost of a human coach plan, which means that became more affordable to the entire audience in India mm-hmm. because of which our growth has really taken off. Sure. It skyrocketed because of the fact that it's more affordable. So again, innovation drove growth over there. Sure. And because of the growth, you're going to have enough data to take the next step. Innovation. So that's how I look at it at least. It's right. a flywheel effect. Right. So say now, like you mentioned, I carefully made a decision between growth versus innovation and I do all my maths right. or science or whatever, right. Right. <laughs> get my data, but still my product fails. Yeah. Tough question. So again, there are two types of de- decisions that you make. One is based on data and one could be an intuitive leap. When it's based on data, generally going wrong is really difficult if you've looked at the right kind of data. Where I've seen things go wrong, at least from my personal experience, is when it's an intuitive leap. When you're taking an intuitive leap, the only thing that I would advise anyone, at least as far as I have seen, is fail as fast as you can. Because for data-led decisions, you have enough time to kind of go back, look at the data, understand whether you've even looked at the data right. And you've looked at the data right, then it should have worked. Then there's something wrong in between that is solvable. But if it's an intuitive leap, the biggest problem that you're facing is possibly spending too much time on it and it may not really matter in the future. So what I would suggest is put a hard deadline to it. How we attack it at Health FME is we have a deadline of say five days for anything that's done by intuition. Mm-hmm. If we don't get it out in five days, we either ruthlessly kill it or we get it uh, into a backlog so that we do it when we're free. What that does to a company is uh, maintain the discipline of looking at data first. Yeah. Second, any intuitive leap, you'll fail much faster than you would have failed otherwise. Yeah. The faster you fail, better. So there's this very close friend of mine. He is the head of product for um, Practo. Uh, his name is Shitaj. And... He once came to office, he was talking to all of us leadership members and he mentioned this one statement that was very profound and it just has two words. Startups fail. As long as you're telling yourself <laughs> yeah. that startups fail and you fail really fast at it, I don't think there's going to be a problem. 
ஒரு <laughs> <laughs> and he managed to make it so convincing uh, that we decided to take that intuitive leap this time mm-hmm. and go ahead and see what we can do with it by then we had 600 or million food logs messages exchanged between users and clients uh, and uh, coaches and uh, what we realized was eventually to scale the business that's human dependent the only way we could scale it was if a single coach can handle more clients mm-hmm. because you can't continue to go and hire more coaches who are of high quality it's impossible you yeah. will hit a cap at some point in time and he's spending a lot of and the quality as well exactly right? and and we really pride ourselves in quality of service so the only way we could do that was to augment the entire premium experience with another coach beyond your nutritionist beyond your fitness trainer who could add significant value to you immediately what happened as a result of that was ria by the end of that year i think 2017 is when we launched ria and by 2018 january the number of messages sent to ria was 2.5x the number of messages sent to coaches so in 6 months what we done with ria was completely change the way people look at coaches yeah. coaches are known to share knowledge with you and not answer your daily questions mm-hmm. and ria answered your daily questions for you so you have a rounded experience coaches have a little more time to service more clients which means that we can scale more rapidly mm-hmm. so that's where ria came as a beautiful story and she continues to be the heart of the smart plan which is an ai based plan she continues to be the heart of the premium service she keeps people engaged she reminds people if uh, they are going off track what should they do what should they not do yeah and take real decisions such as i'm going out tonight i am going to party with my friends tonight what should i do and what should i not do and she will tell you exactly what you should do yeah. based on what she's learned from your previous experiences so sound a little black mirror to me <laughs> uh, it is scary it is scary but um, she is uh, a kind hearted soul <laughs> she's not evil <laughs> so how should she get her name so yeah was um, i think an inspiration from another startup in fact they are pretty much at the same level as us right mm-hmm. now not a health based startup but then their internal ai engine was called ria it's something that uh, we decided to borrow from the founders of the company that's it so yeah so you had over 10 years of experience and also you've been working with this company so you've worked with different products and stuff and with new products come new trends new audiences newer demands as you've been mentioning different cuisines different cultural backgrounds like i love polka dots a few years ago and now i think it's so outdated right like trends keep changing so with these rapidly changing markets how do you deal with your existing versus upcoming markets good question it's actually more of an internal process than an external process that's how i would put it um in every successful company or any successful setup there are always opposing forces and the way i look at opposing forces internally for me is 
there are two types of people there are the pragmatic people and there are the dreamers now pragmatic people generally just take decisions that they that are really thought through and product management is basically data led decisions and there are dreamers who take those intuitive leaps so at health family i'll tell you how it works i would like to think that i am the pragmatic one because i generally stay away from taking intuitive leaps whereas our ceo is the one who looks at it outside in i always look at it inside out because i look at data internally just make sure that i have everything in place to take the right decision to make the next leap mm-hmm. he would go out he would talk to people he would be inspired by everyone that he meets yeah comes back with a new idea probably every week and among them we of course look at what is possible what's not possible and we try and implement it the only way the center setup works is there has to be a combination of both if tushar who's the ceo of the company did not dream enough to make say the first services happen 5 years ago i wouldn't have even been here as part of the company mm-hmm. so you trust in intuition of the founders and maybe people who are really gifted to do that and trust in the data internally so that's the way i look at it so new industries i would still say that tushar's intuition beats any data analysis that we would do yeah but new changes of features within the app i think data wins over there so that's how we look at sure. it so once you figured out and planned your market growth for your product how does this now tie in with the global expansion part interesting so the way i approach it at least uh, when i'm looking at the product road map is what's the goal of the company at any point in time now when you look at the goal of the company at least at health family we have two very divergent goals in a certain sense and it depends on the time of the year as i said the beginning of the year we would look at profitability uh you would look at top line revenue growth and in the second half of the year we would look at stuff like engagement retention innovation for our free users making sure that there's a segment that cannot pay us but how do you help them right? yeah so that's how we divide it but again how do the segments play out against this right for example in india we have covered almost every urban city there's a very low possibility that you would meet five people on the street not even one knowing what health family is we've been around for long enough for one out of five at least to know it but where we have not gone deeper is rural india right rural india where vernacular uh, content on the app is a necessity those are the only apps that are done well look at the look at the wonderful apps such as daily hunt any of the content apps that have gone deep in india it's all because of the fact that they have customized it for the audience the language especially right so that's one route to go the other route to go is you go international right mm-hmm. and in international you come with, it comes with your its own set of problems own set of scalability issues such as again could be different languages but a lot of them speak in english in certain countries we would obviously pick countries that speak in english so yeah. we have to we can actually fly with the current app sure but then they have diverse needs now when you're looking at again coming back to what you want to do at that point and what's the goal of the company yeah if you're looking at profitability and top line growth with a current model of execution is difficult to go deep in india Mm-hmm. because the more you go rural the lesser access to online payments the yeah. lesser access to uh, understanding whether this app is trustworthy or not whether and the way of life or exactly way of life uh, how do we get a nutritionist to make someone from a rural uh, remote rural village yeah. understand what's good or bad for them sure versus you go international these markets know what nutritionists are they just don't have access to them over an app mm-hmm. so it's easier for us to scale them 
So when you're looking at revenue growth, profitability, that's the move that we will have to unfortunately make. But then eventually there will be a time when the cycle comes around and you're looking at user engagement and retention, where you're looking at users, not just from the point of view of monetization. And at that point in time, I think we'll go much deeper in India and prove it out that we can healthify India totally and completely. Cool. So... I'm going to ask you like one last thing, actually two last things. I want you to leave our listeners with two things. One thing, tell them where they can go hunting to indulge in this whole product scaling scene and a piece of knowledge that you'd like to share with them from your personal experience that you've had over the last, you know, 10 years. Wow. Deep question. So uh, <laughs> the, the, the first one. So resources basically. Yeah, resources, right? So the... The biggest problem for me is I'm not an avid reader. I find it very difficult to retain knowledge of books. But then there are some books that I've read that have changed my life. I've read Hacking Growth by Sean Ellis Mm -hmm. four times till now. This is the fourth time I'm reading it. Wow. It is a beautiful book. It talks about all the startups of of the 2000 era and how they scaled. He's been a part of the journey of many startups. And it's quite unbelievable, his experience. So... It's beautiful. And of course, the regular books such as Zero to One by Peter Thiel and a couple of others that are required for you to understand how the startup industry works or how do you scale a business. But uh, what I've been into off late are uh, podcasts such as this. So uh, I've been really addicted to one. I'm not saying that that's the only one. There are quite a few of them who are really good. And I think that that kind of plays into the life of a startup person. I don't get time to read enough, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I try and do is when I'm working out, I just kind of listen. And uh, one of them is by Reid Hoffman. It's called Masters of Scale. A very popular one. He has the likes of uh, Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, uh, people from all across the industry in the Silicon Valley talk about their experiences. Most people in the startup industry in India would relate to it because it's kind of similar. Sure. Uh, the problems that people face is exactly the same when it comes to scaling Yeah. in general. And that interests me and I've continued to listen to a couple of other podcasts. So in terms of resources, I think podcast is the way to go for me at least. Yeah. About the second question, which is uh, a harder one, I have a very philosophical view of certain things and I would like to share just one of them. So for a very long time, so I, right from being an entrepreneur to until now, in my opinion, set me apart, has been probably hard work. Unfortunately, it hasn't been smarts. And then I've come across people who are extremely, extremely smart. Uh, by smart, I mean maybe extremely high IQ, uh, not gifted, uh, but they've made themselves to be gifted. So there are two ends of the spectrum. There are people who are extremely hardworking and there are people who are extremely smart. The one thing that I have kind of understood from leading teams over the last few years is the fact that nobody can ride on just one of them. So you kind of benchmark yourself. Where are you in that spectrum? Sure. If you are smart and you're not putting in the hard work, even 25% of the hard work that a really hardworking person is putting in, then you're doing exactly the job that you're supposed to be doing. And in the startup world, at least, uh, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You're always giving 150%, 170% of what you can humanly do. And in that case, it's important to peg where you stand in the scale and have the right mix of hard work and smarts. If you don't have the smarts, develop it. If you don't have the hard work, bring along a work ethic that's completely different the next day. Yeah. 
the combination of both is probably the recipe to success as far as i've seen every founder that i've met yeah each one of them is extremely smart extremely hard working it's not uh, a formula for success but then it's definitely a correlation mm-hmm. is what i would say so the would just the last note that i would i will leave you guys with is don't bank on just one thing that you're really good at yeah try and bank on a balance of work life creativity and i think things will be set quite a deep note <laughs> it's been great talk to you anjan thank Absolutely. you for absolutely it's been my pleasure thank you guys having, um, come here to talk to us hey guys keep listening to the product management for more experience based insights from industry experts on how to build and manage the products you build better